Last week we began a new study in 1 John. The Apostle John wrote his letter at about 100 A.D. It was a general letter that was circulated among the churches. At the time he was writing, the church was not being persecuted from without, but was being seduced from within. At that time, the enthusiasm of the early days of Christianity had somewhat waned, and there were false prophets who had come into the church at this time, and they were enticing the believers away from some of the fundamental doctrines of the faith. There was Gnosticism, and the Gnostics believed that everything spiritual was good and pure, and everything physical was evil. They believed that they had a special knowledge about God and how to get to God. They denied the idea of the Incarnation. The reason for that is because it was not logical. I mean, if the idea of life was that I am to escape the physical, then the idea that God came in the physical was not logical to them. So there were the Gnostics, there were the Libertines. The Libertines believed that you could do whatever you wanted. It didn't make a lot of difference because God's grace is greater than our sin. Thus, the more we sin, the more grace there is, and so it really doesn't matter how you live your life. Then there were the legalists. The legalists believed that one was made right with God by keeping the law, and so they wanted to make sure that everyone crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's, that they kept the law because that is the way that one is made right with God. Then... There were also the traditionalists that believed the way things always had been. That's the way that they must always be. So, John is addressing that. So, as we go through this little letter, I want you to understand that is the background of the letter, and that is what John is addressing. As he began, he said, Now, I have two things I want to happen with you as we go through this letter. He said, First of all, that your joy might be complete. I want you to have joy as a follower of Christ. So he said that one of my goals is that your joy might be complete. And secondly, that you do not live a life of sin. You do not live habitually in sin as a follower of Christ. Now then, let's look at where we left off last time. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse number 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. All right, now as we go through these verses today, I want us to begin in verse number 5 because the essence of the message concerns light and darkness. So look at verse number 5. And this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. John, in saying this, is using parallelism. 
That was an Old Testament device that was used by the prophets and by the psalmist. In parallelism, a sentence would be stated and then followed by an almost identical sentence. They were parallel. Sometimes a sentence would be stated and then would be followed by an opposite, an exact opposite thought. For instance, something is good, thus it cannot be bad. And that's what John is doing here. When he says that God is light, thus there is no darkness at all in him. In John's writings, both here and in the gospel, he uses truth and light interchangeably. And uh, he presents for us an Old Testament understanding of the light. Now here, God is light, therefore there is no darkness in him. And he is going back to his Jewish understanding of what that means. First of all, it is in the light that we find the truth. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist wrote, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? As we live our lives in the light, as we walk in the light, then we find the truth. The Bible says in John 3, 21, But he who practices the truth comes to the light. So in the Old Testament understanding, when he says that God is light and he is speaking to us about walking in the light, he is saying that we find the truth as we walk in the light and we come to know God as we walk in the light. You want to know God? You're going to discover God in the light. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 2, the prophet wrote, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. So in that passage of Scripture, when the prophet is speaking, he is talking about those who are in darkness, and the light now is shining on them. What happens? They come to know God. Four verses later, in verse number 6, Isaiah wrote, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. So, Isaiah is saying, and he's using, this is where John is getting a lot of this. Isaiah is saying that the people walk in darkness, but the light shines. What happens to them? A child is born. A child is given. They come to know the Savior. The psalmist, Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light. And my salvation. So, in the Old Testament understanding, the light enable one to know God. As I walk in the light, I come to know God. I discover God in the light, not in the darkness. So, I come to know God in the light. When I am in the light, not only do I discover God, but when I discover God, I become aware of my own sin. Lloyd Ogilvy wrote, The light shows up our own inadequacies and what is worse, our own wickedness. As I, maybe that's the reason we don't like to get in the light that much. Because when I'm in the light, not only do I discover God, but I also become aware of the sin that is in my own life. I was thinking about that yesterday. And I know you've done this in someone else's house, certainly not yours. But you're in a, a dark room and you go in and flip on the light and a cockroach runs across the floor. See, 
that's what happens when we are in the light. We turn on the light and the cockroach of sin is revealed to us. That sin that is in my life. When I, when I am living my life and walking in the light, then I become aware of my own sin. Now, understand within the context here, he is saying to us that as we walk in the light, we come to know God. I discover God. I'm aware of my own sin and cleansed by the blood. Now, look at verse number 7. If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, you need to understand that to the audience addressed by John, in Greek thinking, that was a repulsive thought. The blood was a repulsive idea. It was very limited in definition because it meant death. And so they were repulsed by the terms in the Greek thinking. There are those today who think like the Greeks and they are repulsed by the idea of salvation coming through the blood. I remember years ago, this was a long time ago, but Steve had not been here a, a long time. And one of the ladies in the church came and told him to stop singing so many songs about the blood. Because that is a repulsive thought. That, that, that is not something that is a, a nice thought. I remember when I was in college and was talking with a professor who began, we were discussing salvation, how a person is saved. And I mentioned that one is saved through the shed blood of Jesus and so forth. And my professor saying to me, that is the most barbaric thing that I have ever heard. So understand, that is the Greek way of thinking. Whenever we're talking about the blood of Jesus Christ to the Greek thinker, that was a repulsive idea. But understand that John is presenting a Jewish understanding of this. And for the Jew, the blood did not represent death, but cleansing. You see, they had a sacrificial system. And so when a sacrifice was made, the animal was killed then they were cleansed by the blood. That is the thinking of John, cleansing, because that was the Jewish understanding of it. The word cleanses literally means to clean out. So when we follow Christ, whenever we, we discover God, we are aware of our sin, we come to Christ, and we are cleansed by the blood. That's what that means, to be cleansed. It's not The Jew did not think about the death of the sacrifice, but the cleansing that came. And that was John's thought, that we are cleansed by the blood. And then he says, and then we are forgiven, in verse number 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in the light, as we come to God, our sins are forgiven. The word confess is interesting. If we confess our sins, it is two Greek words, homo, which means the same or alike. And logos, which means speech, to say. You put the two words together, the word confess then means to say the same thing. It means to be in agreement. So then for me to confess my sin means what? It means that I'm in agreement with God. See, we use euphemisms. We sometimes rationalize our sins. We try to dress up our sin. But when I'm confessing my sin, it means I call it the same thing God calls it. 
To confess sin means that I am in agreement with God. That I am saying, yes, you're right. This is sin. So it means to say the same thing. And the Bible says, so I confess. And what happens? I confess my sin. God forgives my sin. The word forgives literally means to leave behind, to abandon. Isn't that good news? That I confess my sin and God abandons my sin. He leaves it behind. The, the Bible says that He will remove my sins as far as the east is from the west, never to remember them again. That's what, that's what John is saying here. If I confess my sin, I agree with God. I call it the same thing. I acknowledge that it is sin. Then the Bible says that God forgives my sin. And now He says, I have fellowship in verse number 7. But if we walk in the light as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us, us from all sin. So, if I'm walking in the light, and God is light, if I'm walking in the light, I discover God, I become aware of my own sin, I'm cleansed by the blood of Jesus, I am forgiven of my sin, and now I have fellowship with my fellow man. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, Christian brotherhood is not an ideal which we must realize. It is rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. So John is saying here, using parallelism, that God is light. Thus, there is no darkness in Him, which is the opposite. Okay. Let's look at the Christian life. When he says that there is no darkness, there's light and there is darkness, he is in darkness, he is referring to the life without Christ. Darkness is a life without Christ. Ephesians 5.8 says, For you were formerly... That's what I was before I came to Christ. That's what you were before you came to Christ. For you were formerly darkness, but now. You see the change? You were in darkness, but now. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So when he is talking about walking in darkness or the life that is dark, he is talking about the life before we came to Christ. And he says that darkness is hostile to the light. In John 1, 5, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overpower it. Folks, fact is, light and dark cannot exist together. You either have light or you have dark, but they do not peacefully coexist. You cannot have both of them together. Barclay said it is a picture of the darkness seeking to obliterate the light, but unable to overpower it. The life of darkness, the Bible says, is a life of ignorance about life. John 12, 35 says, He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. My friend, you will never have a full or a good understanding of life unless you're in the light. You know, I'm, I'm amazed that, and it's not because of intelligence, but I am amazed at people who are intelligent and how little sometimes they seem to know about life. 
and how amazing it is when someone who might not have a sixth grade education but knows the Lord has such a rich understanding of life. Why is that? Because they're in the light. And the Bible says that when we are trying to live our life in darkness, that we're living our life in ignorance without an understanding of light. Darkness stands for immorality. John 3.19 says, The light has come into the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. All right, so when we're talking about darkness, that represents a life of immorality, unfruitfulness. Darkness is a place of unfruitfulness. I, I have some spots in my yard, in fact, I think most of it now, where I can't seem to grow grass. Now, in, in some cases, I can't grow grass because there are trees there, and the shade, the dark, keeps the grass from growing. You, some of you have that same thing. It won't grow there. Did you know that's also true spiritually? When we are in the darkness, we are not fruitful. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.11, And do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. You see, ladies and gentlemen, when we are living our lives in darkness, there is no fruit of the Spirit. It will not grow there. The fruit of the Spirit does not grow in a place of darkness. The Bible says that it is a place of lovelessness. In chapter 2, verse number 9, the one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brothers in the darkness until now. Darkness is the place of hate, not love. The Bible says that darkness is the enemy of Christ in Ephesians six twelve. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness. So God is light without any darkness. That's what he says there in verse 5. God is light, therefore there is no darkness in him. And you and I, if we are followers of Christ, are to live our lives in the light. Now then John goes from there and points out the lies and the false conclusions that were arrived at by these false teachers. Barclay said, there were those who claimed to be specially, intellectually, and spiritually advanced, but whose lives showed no sign of it. Verse number 8. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, there were those in the church at this time who believed that they were intellectually or spiritually superior, and as a result of that, then they did not sin. That's always a temptation, is it not? There are those who think they are intellectually superior, and therefore this does not apply to them. They, they do not sin. I'm, I'm uh, fascinated somewhat by the number of people right now who are evolving in their understanding. They evolve to the point that they accept the things God condemns. In fact, I read an excerpt from the ruling by the federal judge concerning uh, Virginia's amendment banning same-sex marriage. And as I read the judge's remarks, I was amazed at how arrogant she was. It doesn't make any difference that the people voted and thought this is what we want to do. She had to rescue the people from themselves because she is intellectually superior to them. You see, whenever we come to the place and begin to think that we are intellectually superior then we come to the place where we think we can do whatever we want. That is also true spiritually. When we begin to think that we are spiritually superior, we face the same kind of temptation. Clement of Alexandria said that in his day there were heretics 
who said it made no difference how one lived. Irenaeus says some declared that a truly spiritual man was incapable of evil deeds. Now, that's the temptation we face. That we come to the place thinking that we are intellectually superior or spiritually superior. Our conclusion then is false because it says, Thus I do not sin. But John says they walk in darkness. Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. John is saying that a man who professes to love Christ and deliberately disobeys Christ lies. That person is a liar. Folks, we can say that we love Jesus, we love His Word, we love the things of God, etc. We can say that. But when we then stand in disobedience to the clear Word of God, John saith, no, you're lying. Those who denied the deity of Jesus lied. They were liars. Chapter 2, verse number 22. John says, who is the liar? But the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. He said, those who denied the deity of Jesus were liars. He says, those who said they loved God but hated their brother were liars. In chapter 4, verse number 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. When we say that we love God, but we hate our brother, the Bible says then we are liars. This is a lie. Well, then what is the test of truth? What is the test here? Because these said, well, we're without sin. What is the test of it? Well, according to John, it is fellowship. If, if I am walking in the light, then I have fellowship with those who walk in the light. See, I, I don't understand the long-ranger approach to Christianity. That I'm going to come over here and do whatever it is that I want to do all by myself. No. He says that the test, the test of walking in the light is that you have fellowship with those who walk in the light. And if you're walking in the light, it is because you have been cleansed from sin. So he talks about the lies of the false teachers. And then John cautions us. He said, beware that you don't deceive yourself. In verse number 8, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, we can deceive ourselves if we're not careful. Now, this can mean one of two things. First of all, it can mean that I am not responsible for my sin. Barclay said, we may blame our sins on our heredity, on our environment, on our temperament, on our physical condition. I am um, taken aback sometimes when you talk to people and they justify or rationalize their sin, the things that they have done, by saying, well, it's because of society, it's because of my environment, or it's because of my family. I grew up in a family that was not committed to the Lord, so it's their fault. Now, if, if, if you logically think that through, it doesn't work. See, if, if I justify the life that I live, the sins that I commit, if I justify that by saying it's my parents' fault, then they can say, well, the reason that I did the things that I did concerning you was because of my parents. And they can say, well, the reason I did the things that I did was because of my parents, and you know where we're going to end up? In the Garden of Eden. 
we're all going to end up back there. Because if I can justify my sin by blaming my parents, they can justify their sin by blaming their parents and so forth until we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So that can be saying, well, I'm not responsible, or it can be saying that uh, no harm done. It doesn't hurt anyone. You know, we have, today we have these victimless crimes and all of this stuff. Well, it doesn't, okay, so I did it, but it didn't really make any difference. I, I sinned, but it really doesn't matter. So it can mean either one of those things. There are those people who believe that they do not sin. And I guess one of the reasons for that is because we categorize sin in two classes. There's, there's the bad ones, you know, those, the big ones. I don't do those. Little ones, they don't matter. I do those, but hey, everybody does. You know, I'm sort of stretch the truth a little bit and do this. But, you know, I don't stretch it as much as Steve stretches it. You know, I can always find someone that is worse than, than I am. But understand there are several different words for sin in the Bible. There's the word transgression, which means literally to step over, to go beyond. In other words, I step over the law of God. I step over the word of God, transgression, to transgress. There's the word iniquity, which means lawless or wicked. That would be the big ones. But the word that is used here is hamartia. It's a hunting word. It literally means to miss the mark. The idea of a hunter shooting at something and missing it. That is the word that is used here. That's what Paul was speaking of when he says, All have sinned and come short. I don't quite measure up. I'm not perfect. That is the sin. So, we are all sinners according to the Scripture. Let me conclude. John is writing that we may not sin in our lives, that we walk in the light. God is light, no darkness in Him. As the children of God, we are to walk in the light. How do we do that? I mean, there's so much temptation out there and so many challenges. How do we do that? Well, first of all, We walk in the light, and by doing so, we come to God and are cleansed of our sin. If I am walking in the light, then I am, that is characterized by honesty, by obedience, by being loving, and so forth. So I'm to walk in the light. Secondly, the Bible says that we are to abide in Christ because He gives us the power. He enables us to walk in the light. And the Bible says that He is the vine, we are the branches. He is the light. And so we abide in Christ. And then we live our lives to please the Father. If you're walking in the light, you live your life to please the Father. Jesus said, I do always those things that please Him. Paul said, we ought to walk and to please God. If we are walking in the light, then the desire of your heart is that I please the Father. That was the commitment of Jesus. That was the commitment of Paul. And if we are walking in the light, that is our commitment. I mean, we don't sin. No, it doesn't mean that at all. Someone said, you know, if I believe like you did, because I believe in the security of the believer, I've had someone say, well, I believe like you, I'd, I'd sin all I wanted to. I said, I sin more than I want to. If you're walking in the light, you want to please the Father. So let me ask you, this morning, are you walking in the light? 
Have you been deceived by those who deceive? Are you deceiving yourself into believing something about yourself that is not true? Or are you walking in the light? My friend, I hope today that you will really examine yourself and allow the Holy Spirit to and ask yourself the question, am I in the light? Have I come to the Lord, been forgiven of my sin, cleansed in the blood, and I'm a child of God? Do you know that? Because that's what I'm praying for today. If you're not, that you will. Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation, and I pray for the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and reveal to us what you see in us. Lord, for those who have never come to Christ, I pray they might today. For those who are looking for a church home, I pray they might feel comfortable here. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you join with me in standing, please, as we stand together. The choir is going to sing as they sing. This is an invitation for you to come and trust Christ to join the church. Whatever God's putting on your heart, hope you'll do it today. I'll meet you as you come.